Thanks, Jeremy. Good morning, guys. Hey, let's give it up for the worship team as they head off the stage. Thank you guys so much. So good. Trace is a good friend. He and his family come up from Dallas every, every once in a while and lead us in worship. So, so thankful for you guys. Thanks for coming, Trace. Woo! That was good worship, guys. <laughs> Do you feel it? I mean, the lights felt it for sure. If you didn't feel it, there is something happening in this room. <laughs> for those that are guests, that wasn't a planned experience, though. That was powerful. So, woo! I'm going to try to preach after that worship set, but we'll see what happens. But good to see you guys. My name is Mitchell. If I haven't met you, and I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. And just so glad that you guys are worshiping with us this morning. Such a, just a great day to worship God. Amen? Good day to be together and uh, just thankful. Thankful for Jesus, thankful for his mercy over my life. Anybody else thankful for the Lord being so kind and merciful to you? Yes? Me too. Thank you, Lord. Um, well, we've got, before I jump into the message, just a couple of reminders. So next Sunday is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Super excited about. So a couple of quick things. There's a slide that's going to have a few more details if you missed it uh, right when you walked in. But uh, that whole weekend, we're doing some different things. So we've got uh, the one thing that's not on there is on Friday night at 6 o'clock, we're going to do a Good Friday service. Super simple, but we're going to come here. We're going to worship to a few songs, think about and meditate and reflect on the cross, take communion together. Oh, there you go. Look at that. Um, did you just make that right now? I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, so, we, so that's happening this Friday. If you guys want to come and worship with us, um, that would be amazing. And then on Saturday, we are doing a little outreach, uh, just trying to be intentional to invite our neighbors to come to church with us. So we are surrounded by multiple different little neighborhoods, and so we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we got to practically um, share relationship and invite people into what we're doing. And so we're going to knock on doors, give little gift baskets, offer to pray for our neighbors, and just bless them, and then invite them to our Easter service. And then you'll see up there right after our Easter service next Sunday, we're giving away some free food. So we got some lunch, we got a little Easter egg hunt for the kids, and some games, and I think a bounce house. Is that right? Yes, so Bounce House, I clarified, is for the children, uh, unless you guys stay super late and some of the young adults can go jump in there if you want, all right? Okay, so that is uh, Easter weekend. We've got some flyers that we're going to pass out as you guys are leaving church today. I think we have enough for just to take two, but the intention of those little flyers is to hand them out to people that you know, whether it's coworkers or neighbors, to invite them to come join us. Uh, this Sunday, or this, this next Sunday, or if you just meet somebody randomly this week and feel led to invite them to come and worship with us, then please hand those out. I'd love for us to be intentional. I mean, there, is, there are two Sundays that are action-packed every year, and that's Christmas and Easter, and so there's going to be people that are already naturally open, and so I want to encourage us to be intentional and invite people. That sound good? You ready for Easter? All right, great. Okay, so turn, uh, if you got a Bible with you, turn to First uh, Peter. Today is uh, Mark's week two of a series that we're doing titled Living for Eternity. And what we're doing is journeying through First and Second Peter. And I gave last week, I gave kind of a little um, kind of overview of what we're talking about. Um, but one of the themes that I've been pulling out and what if you read through First and Second Peter, what you'll see is this theme that uh, Peter keeps bringing it back to the reason I'm saying what I'm saying, the reason, the reason I'm giving these commands, the reason I'm giving this counsel is because of the reality that we are not just living for this world. We are living for eternity. And really my whole point in this series is really just to get us to shift our mindset and to look up 
and to just have like almost all of us a wake up moment where we realize like, oh my goodness, this life I'm living on earth is so short compared to eternity. Remember my little math analogy? I did some math. I was like, okay, what, how, how long is eternity? And I'm like, well, it's kind of hard to do math with that infinity symbol, but uh, I put a billion years. You know, let's say we live to be 70 or 80 or 90 on the earth compared to a billion is, uh, I think my math was 0.000000008% of your life, of your eternal life is spent here on this earth. And so it's just an opportunity for us to recalibrate, refocus, and think about what does Scripture say about eternity. Because if it is true what Scripture says, then it matters on how we perceive this and think about it. And what we're going to talk about is even though our life here on earth is short, how we live it and the decisions we make actually impact and affect our eternity. So we'll unpack that today. But let me give you a little recap um, from last week. Um, I talked, I kind of, I did an overview of these first two, uh, these, these books of the Bible, but I kind of focused it in on what kind of freedoms do we get to experience when we have our minds set on eternity? Because every s- truth leads to freedom. Jesus said that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if there's this truth of living for eternity leads to our freedom, I started thinking about what kind of freedoms does this produce in us as we focus on living for eternity. So there's a slide just to remind you four things that I put up there that it gives us freedom from. Now, I don't mean perfection. I just mean that we continually get more and more free from these things the more we set our mind on eternity. So freedom from stress and worry and anxiety. The reality is that so much of our stresses pertain to things that only matter in this life. But when we have our mind set on eternity, the Lord just continues to free us and help us and shift our perspective. And when we get more and more free from stress, worry, and anxiety, it, it frees us to respond rightly to life circumstances and situations and people. Then we talked about being free, more and more free from impure motives and intentions. When we realize that we are going to stand before God one day, it helps us to have pure motives and intentions in our hearts. And then when we have pure motives and intentions, it frees us to pursue the right things, the things that God calls good, and to pursue them really in the right way. So we looked at that. I also gave you guys a slide. I'll put up here again some resources that we're going to encourage you to look into because this topic is like it's too, it's too in-depth to cover it in just a few weeks for this series. So that if you want to take a picture of that, you're more than welcome to. A couple podcasts and a couple books that I would encourage you if you want to dive deeper into this topic of eternity, then you are welcome to look into some of those things. I think they'll be tremendously helpful. All right, now before I dive into today's teaching, let me give um, just a couple comments after I was chewing on uh, last week's message. Okay, so eternity, that is like, it's a pretty big concept. In fact, it is impossible for your brain to wrap, your, to wrap itself around eternity. Do you realize that? It's too big. Just go ahead, try for a second. <laughs> You'll get a headache. Literally, it's too big. It's, it's too much. And, and but we, what we don't want to do is take a powerful truth and either ignore it or misapply it. And as I was thinking about last week, I just wanted to comment on a couple things. As humans, we are prone to do some extreme swings. Did you know that? Did you ever notice that? If it's not true for you, it's true for your neighbor. But you know, we're prone to some extreme swings in our life. And when we talk about eternity, we're trying to evaluate, okay, what is this thing that I'm thinking about or doing or spending my time, does that matter in eternity? Is it eternal? And sometimes too quickly we can come to wrong conclusions and we uh, think that, uh, you know, okay, well, school, 
is not eternal. Calculus is definitely not going to be in heaven. Uh, you know, my laundry, what does that have to do with eternity? Okay, my, the dishes, you know, it's like we, we're like, okay, I'm definitely quitting school, never doing laundry again. Definitely not going to work out because, you know, we get a resurrected body one day in heaven, so. <laughs> okay. And then our conclusion becomes all I'm going to do is, you know, things that you can easily interpret as eternal or spiritual and significant. But here's what's cool about following Jesus and embracing a lifestyle of obedience. You don't have to disobey one of his commands to obey another. You don't have to ignore three principles from Scripture to try to follow one. I want you to think about that for a second. Okay? The, the Word of God teaches us to value things that are eternal, to value things like studying His Word and relationship with Him and loving Him and loving others, but it also teaches us to be diligent with whatever practical thing God puts before you. Okay? <laughs> I had a good wake-up call in relation to this school example. Um, when I was a freshman in college, I, uh, I was on fire for Jesus, came into college, just wanting to see God move, so hungry for him, wanted to see revival on my college campus, and spent a lot of time praying, a lot of time studying the word, a lot of time praying with other believers, a lot of Bible studies. I also made time for intramural basketball. But anyways, I just spent a lot of time doing that, and you know what that meant? Not a lot of time studying. <laughs> okay? It was confirmed. End of fresh first semester freshman year, 1.6 GPA. Pretty impressive. See a few parents in the room. Good, good, good example right here. <laughs> Got a letter of probation from the university and said if I didn't fix my grades, then I would be removed. <laughs> good letter. Did you get that letter? No, Beth didn't. Definitely not. She loved Jesus, but she also studied. Anyways. It's funny, I did graduate, <laughs> but the Lord took that, that little Christmas break, my first semester, to, to teach me a few things, to remind me of a few things, to correct me in a few mindsets I had, which is kind of what I mentioned earlier. Of course, reading the Bible and praying and believing for God to move on my campus was great. The Lord wasn't mad that I was spending my time doing that, but he wanted me to grow in this pretty weak area of valuing my schoolwork. And even beyond schoolwork, valuing the diligence that God wanted to produce in me through doing something I didn't want to do. Just because we don't want to do something doesn't mean that it matters. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Does that make sense? I'm so thankful that through these, those seasons of learning to be diligent and to endure and to still do things that I don't want to do, it is definitely helping me now. I've never had a passion and a zeal uh, to change diapers, but I got to do it now, <laughs> and I need to be diligent. Never had a passion and a zeal to lose sleep and wake up in the middle of the night to go help a three-year-old daughter, but thankfully, I'm doing it, like last night. Okay. So the Lord uses things that don't seem like they matter so much in eternity to form character in us that matters in this life and in eternity, and so we just want to be careful how uh, quickly we can apply certain things, but I want, I shared that just to help you to not check something off the list and say it doesn't matter in eternity, so therefore I'm not going to care about it. No, no, no. The Lord cares about a lot of things, and I could probably say if you list out literally everything that you're doing in your life, there's some element of it that matters. Maybe not all of it, but there's some element that the Lord could be working and doing that matters in eternity. So hopefully that's helpful for you. But this morning, here's how I'm going to, I'm going to 
focus and kind of shift um, what we're talking about today. And it's a topic that I would say is one of the most important teachings found in Scripture, but one of the least talked about, and that is the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody say the judgment seat of Christ. I think this is one of the most helpful teachings. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures here. One of the help, most helpful teachings that, that like, enlightens us into how are we to posture ourselves in this life as we prepare for eternity. But I would say that one of the reasons it's not talked about is because this has the potential this morning, church, just want to give you a heads up, to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> it has made me uncomfortable this week the more I've looked into these passages and these scriptures. Okay, it's, it's stirred a few things inside of me. It's increased the fear of the Lord. It's also increased my trust in Him. Okay, it's increased my um, value of how I decide to live my life uh, on this side of eternity. But I just want you to know that there's some things that rightfully so in Scripture make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> and this morning I feel the temptation because I know it might make some of you feel uncomfortable. Some of you are going to love this. <laughs> yeah, preach it, man. I feel the temptation to hold back because of an assumption of how you might feel. But I decided I'm not. <laughs> and I need you, and I want you to hold me accountable to not hold back this morning, all right? Because what I'm going to be held accountable to God for is if I'm preaching the truth of God's word in a way that's loving, of course, but I'm not holding back just because I'm afraid of what you might think. Because you're not going to stand before me one day. You're going to have to talk with God about what his word says. If you disagree with my teaching, that's fine. If you disagree with the Bible, that's a little bit more of a problem. <laughs> and so what I want to do this morning is just present scripture to us. And I'm with you. I'm with you in this teaching and, this, and the applications and the implications of what I'm about to share. But let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we dive into this. So Lord, we just present our heart, our mind to you right now. In our ears to you, Lord, I ask that you would help us hear your truth this morning. And Lord, we thank you that every truth from Scripture is, leads to our freedom, but also it's filled with good intentions from you because you care about us. And you want us to know the truth. The truth sets us free. And so this morning, Lord, I just ask that you would help us all have just soft hearts. And would your word be planted in us and would it produce good fruit this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. We trust you, and we ask you to speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Okay, let me talk a little bit about the word judgment, because as soon as I said judgment seat of Christ, there was different reactions, I'm sure, in some of your hearts and your minds, okay? So the word judgment in our culture and the way that word is used has such a negative connotation. However, in Scripture, it does not have that same connotation. In fact, it says throughout Scripture, I mean, Psalms, Revelation, I mean, all throughout, it says the righteous, the people of God, actually rejoice in God's judgments. They rejoice. Now, there's going to be a day when we are, we are seeing more and more of God's judgments. And let me expand that word, his, his evaluation, his assessment. Because when you think judgment, you think like, okay, there's like some horrible thing is happening in the earth, and it's God's judgment. That's not, it could mean that, but that's not all that it means. It's his evaluation. It's him seeing something perfectly right. And when we are standing before him and are more and more aware of his judgments, the response of us is going to be, you are right, Lord. You are right. And it's going to produce worship in us and rejoicing in us. His judgments are perfect. They are fair. They are, they are thorough. And they are right. 
And then one thing you also need to know is about Jesus. What does the Bible say about who he is? Okay, most of us love that he is Savior. Anybody thankful that Jesus is your Savior? We love that he is our Lord. He's our teacher. We love that he's our friend. Okay, God is described as our Father, but also throughout Scripture, Jesus is described as a judge. As a judge. Revelation 1, I'm going to just reference this, but you can write it down. Revelation 1, 12 through 16, John, the apostle, has this very powerful and vivid encounter with Jesus. And it's, it talks about his, uh, Jesus. He sees Jesus, and his eyes are like a flame of fire. His hair is white as wool. His face is shining like the sun. Nod your head if you've read these little passages that are all throughout Scripture about this revelation of this resurrected Jesus. He's intense, okay? And it says that in response, John saw this Jesus, the same Jesus that John the Apostle walked with on earth, who uh, leaned against his chest. He, he sees Jesus, and his response is he falls down on his face, as though he's dead. But one of the things in that passage that you see in the description of Jesus is it says he has a long robe on. And in the Greek, that word is poderis. Everybody say poderis. Now, it would be well known to the original readers of this to know what that robe was. It was the robe of the judge. And it wasn't, it wasn't unclear to the early readers of Scripture that this this was a, a judge wearing robe that had authority in the way he saw things and he determined things. Now, again, in our culture, this word judgment doesn't, doesn't sound great. In fact, there's something in the air that when that word judge or judgment is used, there's just, just defensive, just walls that go up. Yeah? Okay? I see it in me, and I think I've seen it in you. Okay, and we just need to be aware of a couple things. Because you know that phrase, you know, it's like, I even heard something this morning that was similar. You know that phrase, it's like, don't, don't judge me. And every time you start to think that, you know, someone's thinking something about you and like making a critical judgment, you just, don't judge me, don't judge me. Someone was eating a donut this morning and said something about, don't judge me. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> it's funny. I wasn't judging. But anyways, <laughs> do you know that that phrase, don't judge me, does it really work in a courtroom? <laughs> Anybody been to jury duty? Anybody? Raise your hand if you have. Only a few of us. Oh, my goodness. Really? <laughs> Gosh, you guys are missing out. Well, not really, but you're. <laughs> Great. And then my example won't make sense to half you. But anyways, you get called in for jury duty, and then the, somebody decides who's on the uh, whatever it's called. Ju ju jury? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great, great. Just me and Parky, you'll talk about this later. <laughs> Anyways, it's a funny experience. I heard somebody once tell me, like, hey, if you get called to Georgia, just, like, do something or say something obnoxious, and they won't pick you. And so, anyways, I tried that once or twice. I never got picked, so that's great. But anyways, if you're in that courtroom, the judge walks in, you know, the person that's being prosecuted, that, the, the don't judge me doesn't work. Because <laughs> that's what he's there to do. But also, I don't want you to only think of a courtroom. I want you to think of, like, the Olympic Games. Okay, you've got judges. Okay, someone does their stunt. The judges are there to judge. Okay, the Olympian can't say, don't judge me. You know, they're there to give an evaluation. And so similarly, this don't judge me won't work when we're standing for the ultimate judge, Jesus. So it's important for us to understand who he is as judge and to learn a little bit more about it. 
Now, in First and Second Peter, I know you're there. I'm going to fly through a bunch of scriptures, but um, only hone in on a couple of them. But the word judgment or the verb to judge or something similar is used nine times, which is actually a lot for just these two books. And in most cases, it seems that it's implying a judgment that could be both for believers and unbelievers. Each verse has its specific application and context. But let me give you a couple different judgments that are found in Scripture, then I'll show you one in 1 Peter. So there's the judgment of the nation of Israel. There's judgment of the nations. There's the day of judgment or judgment day, which often is referring, referring to the return of Christ. And then there's these like little judgments and that God gives us that are more similar to what we might call little tests of how we might respond to something difficult in our lives. Let me give you this verse, 1 Peter 4.17, and I want you to see where this judgment starts. 1 Peter 4.17 says, it, it is time, for it is time, for judgment. Everybody say judgment. I want us to get acquainted with that word and, and help it not become, be in our negative connotation vocabulary, but as part of the word of God. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, everybody say us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Keep that up there just for a little bit. Because when it comes to judgment and it comes to God's judgment, I think there's been this vibe in our culture lately that, or at least in kind of cultural Christianity, that judgments in scripture are only referring to the wicked or the lost or those out there. But what does this say? Judgment begins with us where God wants his people pure and holy and set apart and not like the world. And there are things that happen in our life that God uses as a judgment or an evaluation to see how we might respond with the intention in mind, the amazing intention in his mind to make us more holy, more pure, more humble, more gracious, more gentle. And if we ignore this, then we, be, we begin to look more and more and more and more and more like the world. And that is not what we want. His judgments and these different things happen in our life. My conclusion, which I'm going to keep learning more, but one of my conclusions is usually when there's some sort of like little J, not judgment day, but little J judgments or things that happen, God is looking for humility in our response. He's looking for a broken heart. He's looking for someone that doesn't puff up and say, I didn't do anything wrong. No, I didn't do anything. No, I had nothing to repent of. No, no, I got no. He's looking for a humble response instead of pride. But there's two other judgments that I really want to focus in on, and we're going to get and we're going to wrap it up with the judgment seat of Christ. But um, I want this to be a helpful teaching so that you have a little bit more of a biblical framework for this word judgment and different judgments that are in Scripture. Uh, so this, and, the, and I want you to see the distinction between the two so we don't get confused. So one of the ones I haven't mentioned yet, other than like judgment of the nation of Israel and other nations, day of judgment, is what's referred to in Revelation 20 as the great white throne judgment. So let's talk about this. There's a slide that has a few points up there. But this is in Revelation chapter 20. Feel free to take a picture of this. And there's another slide you'll want to take a picture of in a second so that you can do your own search on this. Because what I like to say is don't just believe me because I've got the microphone. But look at the word of God yourself. So Revelation 20 talks about this great white throne judgment. And it gives us some helpful context of who is the audience of this judgment. And the, the scriptures say that it's for those not written in the book of life. And it's referred to as the second death, the lake of fire. So the great white throne judgment is for what I would summarize as unbelievers. 
those who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus. And as you read Revelation 20, it's an intense scene. And here's the, the quick application, that, two applications that I want to give you guys as you think about this and as you read it, hopefully later, is one, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, this should produce in you such a sense of gratitude and thankfulness for his, the blood of Jesus and for his mercy that he would take your sin. Because what you'll see here is those that have not allowed the sacrifice for sin to be applied to their life, they are then facing the consequence and the judgment of their sin. We should be so thankful. We should be so thankful. But for anybody else in this room, if you've not decided you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, you don't want your life to be covered under the blood of Jesus. You've maybe had opportunities, or maybe you've just grown up in church and been familiar with this story, but you've never decided, no, 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 I am in need of a Savior. I am in need of the blood of Jesus to wash me clean. Then this should really motivate you, as you read Revelation 20, to give your life to Jesus and to put your sin under his blood. It should put the fear of the Lord in our life, rightfully so. But then there's, this another, there's another judgment seat or seat of judgment, and that's the judgment seat of Christ, which is what I really want to focus on this morning. There's another slide that has a few points on there. I encourage you to take a picture of this because there's a lot of verses up there. I'm going to read a few of them, but not all of them this morning. So this judgment seat of Christ is all throughout, you see the, in the New Testament, and it's for believers. And what this is is an evaluation of their life or our life and it leads to reward or loss of reward so we're going to look at a couple of passages that unpack this for us but let me first tell you a story and you can again keep that up there just as you're thinking about this because this story that happened in my life was really helpful as I thought about judgments and specifically reward or loss of reward so when I was uh, let's see I was 16 I believe maybe 15 and I was um, about to get my driver's license. And I may have told this story before, but uh, here it is again. I, w I really liked driving. It was very fun. And I had my little permit, so I had to drive with my parents. But sometimes I had the urge, so much so, that I couldn't wait for my parents to get home. And so multiple times I would grab my parents' keys and go out for a little joyride in my little Aerostar minivan. It was awesome. And in um, one of these times, so I did that multiple times without getting caught. Uh, when my parents weren't home or whatever. And then one time I drove to uh, my, my dad's, I drove with my dad to his adult basketball game. And I it was just me, no, none of my brothers were there. And so he had this full game that he was playing and I had this brilliant idea. I'm a little bored, I'd rather be out there than watching. So let me do something fun. So I had the brilliant idea, I'm gonna go to my dad's gym bag, I'm gonna steal his keys and I'm gonna go for a little joy ride in the parking lot of the YMCA. Great idea, right? 15-year-old idea for sure. And uh, anyway, so I'm driving around, and just like about three seconds after I take off, the security guard walks right in between uh, some cars, and I have to slam on the brakes. And she locks eyes with me, and I was like, oh, no. And then she kind of keeps walking away. And anyway, so I freak out. I drive around and park sideways or something into the parking lot, run inside. I had time somehow to go fix the parking spot so my dad didn't notice. Anyways, the game's over. We're getting out. I'm like, whew, I thought I was good. We get in the car, and we're literally, my dad's about to put it in reverse, and we're about to leave. And then all of a sudden, I hear this little knock on my dad's window. It's the security guard. You know that feeling that feels horrible when you get caught? <laughs> I had that pit feeling inside of me. Just, ah, I got caught. And, and so then they have a little brief conversation. My dad looks at me, and... And 
what I realized as I was thinking about that story and thinking about this message is that led to my parents having to make a judgment call on what would be the response to my decision. And I was 15 at the time, about to get my driver's license, and their decision was that I was going to lose the reward or the privilege of getting my driver's license at 16, and I had to wait a whole another year and get it when I got it when I was 17. <laughs> you guys say, wow. Okay. In reflection, it took me a little bit. I wasn't saved yet, so there's my excuse for this story. Anyways, um, in reflection, I am so thankful for their judgment. I'm so thankful for their decision to not let me just get away with rebellion and thievery. I'm so thankful because it put more of a reverence for my parents in my heart. And I'm thankful for their judgment call. And also, I was thinking about that you know, feeling in the pit of your stomach, that being caught feeling. I think most of us maybe have experienced that before. Nod your head, yes, you don't need to shout it, but I think some of us have experienced that before. Here's what I want to say, church, and you might need to chew on this for a little bit. I would hate for any of us to have that feeling when we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ. If there's ever going to be a time where the Lord catches me, I want it to be now. So here's a freebie in some of your prayers. You can say, Lord, catch me. (laughs) Lord, get me now because I don't want to find out then that I was living alive, hiding a bunch of things, thinking that you didn't see, but there's going to be a day where we all know he saw. And it really helps us in the decisions we make in public and in private. Now, before you get too nervous, let me give a little bit of clarity as I unpack this. We are not talking about salvation. If you are covered in the blood of Jesus, if you have given your life to him, you are not going to experience the white throne judgment. Praise the Lamb of God. We are not talking, when we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, we are not talking about God accepting us into his kingdom or not. That's not what we're talking about here. We're also not talking about earning our acceptance before God. The Bible is clear that salvation is a free gift of grace for those of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus. We are accepted, loved, and delighted in as God's children. What this is about is an evaluation of what we did with our life after receiving the mercy and the grace of God. And it's about reward or loss of reward, which I'll show you a verse on that. Now let me comment on that. Some of you are like, well, I'm not in it for rewards. And it's an attempt to be humble. But you don't have to be unbiblical to be humble. (laughs) Okay? Think about that. I mean, what we do with the rewards that God gives us, I don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't seem to be very clear with that. But you definitely see throughout Scripture people in heaven casting crowns and just worshiping the Lord. Maybe that's what we'll do with them. Don't know for sure. And so if you're not in it for rewards, that's okay. But I would encourage you to look at what the Bible says. And if Jesus wants to give you rewards for your faithfulness and obedience to him on this earth, I would encourage you to take them. No, Jesus. Nah, not me. If he has something he wants to give you, take it. It is good. It is good. Other comments, and then I'll give you some um, thoughts on a few other things. In regards to this topic of does this mean, does it have anything to do with our salvation? Again, no. 
Um, and then there's other thoughts of like, well, you know what? The only real decision that matters here on this earth is whether or not we give our life to Jesus. That's the biggest decision that matters. And I would agree with that second phrase. It's the biggest decision that matters. But it doesn't seem to be the only decision that matters with what we do with our life. Let's look at a couple verses, and I'll give you a couple other um, details that might be helpful. Okay, so here you go. Three, I'm going to give you three of the seven verses that I put up there for Judgment Seat of Christ. Let's look at them and just briefly talk about them. Uh, first one's Romans 14, 10 through 12. Please write these down because I would love for you to do your own search on this because maybe for some of us this is a newer topic. Romans 14, 10 through 12 says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Leave that up there just a little bit. Comment on this. So this book of Romans is written to believers. Paul is giving many instructions to believers in this passage. And he is talking to a group of believers that were seemingly having trouble judging one another. So this context is not talking about unbelievers here. And that last little phrase says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Everybody say himself. That's what stands out to me about this, other than the, the clear, broad truth and principle that there's a judgment seat of God, and we're going to give an account. But what does it say we give an account of? Your neighbor? Your spouse? Your roommate? Who? Yourself. This verse in particular helps me, though it is hard at times, it helps me with not considering and judging my neighbor or the person to the left and right. You know, I know you guys, sometimes you're listening to messages and you like hear somebody, the preacher say something convicting and you're thinking, oh, that person needs to hear it. Or you're reading the Bible and you're like, man, I wish this person was reading this passage right now. Or, you know, you elbow the person next to you when something's... I just want to encourage us to not do that. <laughs> okay, of course, there's a whole other context about how do you present and confront believers that you're concerned about that are making bad decisions. That's a whole other teaching for another day. But when we talk about this topic, like we are given to give an account of ourself, not our judgments and evaluation of people next to us. Let's look at another one. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Everybody say reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Woo! Woo! I would encourage you to look at all of 2 Corinthians 3 to get some more context, but I mean, it's, it, it says what it says, and it means what it says. <laughs> okay? is that this is a picture of this judgment seat, this evaluation where it looks 
And we're talking about how, what did we do? There was a foundation that was laid that none of you can change. And I love this clarity because it, it just signifies and amplifies the gospel. It talks about that foundation. It can't be touched. Praise God. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are standing on a firm foundation that cannot be changed. Praise God. But then we build on that foundation with the decisions that we make, the things that we do with our time, where we go with our thoughts, what we do with our relationships. And the admonition here is we want to build with things that will last, not wood, hay, and straw, but gold, silver, and precious stone. And there's a couple of phrases in here that are really helpful as I see this. So it says, let each one take care how he builds, so think about it. Be aware of how you're building. But it also talks about how things will be disclosed. It will be, it will be revealed. There will be nothing hidden. Let's look at one more light scripture for this morning. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11 says this. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, to please the Lord. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Just keep it up there. Just, I wanted to sit in just a little bit. Yeah, I see how Paul here is connecting this revelation of the judgment seat of Christ also with the fear of the Lord. There's something about this that he understands that it's not just happy-go-lucky, I just can live a careless life, but he's conscious of the fear of the Lord because of the judgment seat of Christ that we will all stand before. Now, let me give you a couple things that Scripture talks about in regards to what is the Lord judging, or, and let me use again different words. What is he evaluating when we stand before him? Because what I don't want, which would be such an unhealthy application of this, of this t talk, is that we get into uh, either ignoring it or we get into striving mode. And we constantly worry about whether or not I am pleasing enough to God. That's not the application of this message. But let me, it, it, what it does is it helps us clarify what do I need to be aware of in my life? What do I need to be conscious of? And, and I love what it says right here in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul's saying like whether or not, wherever we are, home or away, and he's talking about in this body or when I'm with, in, in heaven with the Lord. He said our aim is to please God. So it gives us clarity of what are the things that are pleasing to the Lord. So here's four or five things that you, I think would encourage you to write down of things that Scripture tells us he's gonna, we're going to need to give an account for. One is the intentions and motivations of our heart. The intentions and motivations of our heart. The Lord sees even those places inside of us. But not just the intentions and motivations of our heart, but also our actions. What we actually did. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Revelation 22, Jesus says, I'm coming soon and I have my reward with me to give to each one according to his deeds or what he has done, his actions. Our actions matter because, <laughs> now listen, some of us like, and I struggle with this too, we have great intentions sometimes. I, I, I intend to love and forgive people. I intend to be consistent with my devotional life. I intend to be really kind, but then we're not. <laughs> and I want to say that in a in the way that of like, yeah, we struggle sometimes, but how we respond and what we do with our actions also matter, not just our intentions. Number three, we'll be held accountable to our words, which I'm going to unpack in a couple of weeks. 
Fourth is we're going to be held accountable or we're going to give an account to our stewardship. It's a broad way to say I do mean finances, what we do with, with money, but it's broader than that. It's what do we do with what God gives us. Each of us have been given different gifts, different talents, different graces and anointings over our life, and we are going to give an account to what we do with what God gives us. And then lastly, I'll say it this way, we're going to give an account to our responses to God. How did we respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction? How did we respond to the grace that he pours out on us every single day? You guys, think about this. Every single day, you are just lavished with abundant grace and mercy, the presence of God around amazing people. His mercies are new every day. He gives us grace. It's like, what do we do with this amazing abundance that God gives us? And the Bible teaches that we will give an account to what we do with that. So let me close it up with a couple thoughts of how do we respond to this teaching. One more time, let me say what we don't want to do. We don't want to strive, stress, and worry on whether or not we are pleasing enough to the Lord. That is one of those hamster wheels that you'll never get out of. There is a, there is a peaceful, rest, resting trust that we have in our God, knowing that his judgments are good, but also just being aware of what Scripture tells us to focus on and that what we need to make sure we're conscious of as we are living to please the Lord. So here's our response. I'll give you three words here. There's a slide. You can take a picture and write these down. Here's how we can respond to a teaching like this and how we can live our life. First, we evaluate. Then we repent. Then we repeat. Everybody say repeat. (laughs) Evaluate, repent, and repeat. So these are obvious teachings of Scripture by evaluate. That one might, might be a new one here, but uh, in regards to evaluation, this, this is in 1 Corinthians 11, but also in Psalm 39. It talks about how we are to evaluate to see what's going on in our heart, what's going on in our life, what's going on in our mind, and is it pleasing to the Lord? Here, let me show you Psalm 139. Just put that one up. You guys know this. You know this prayer from David. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous or wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Isn't that a great prayer? And, so, and it's also a freeing prayer. It's a freeing prayer. And what we can do with this is we can trust that God will convict us of the things he wants to convict us of. So let me comment on a struggle that I've had before, and maybe some of us, and you walk away from this teaching, is this kind of underlying fear, am I doing something secretly bad that God hasn't told me? Maybe that's just me, but if you ever struggle with that, it's a lie from the enemy. The Lord is faithful. If we present our heart before him genuinely and pray prayers like this, he will convict us. And he'll do it graciously. Isn't that amazing? He'll do it kindly. He's so good. He's such a loving father. But we need to to be willing to pray this prayer, though. You see the the other side of that coin is sometimes we feel resistance to this. Because we would feel exposed, but again, we want the Lord to catch us now so we can come clean before him now. And then as the Lord convicts, second step as you evaluate is repent. Just say, Lord, I am sorry. Please forgive me for acting like a jerk. Please forgive me for those wrong motives. Lord, please forgive me for this thought or this action that I've done that I know is displeasing to you. Forgive me, Lord, for responding and blowing up in anger at my roommates because of something they did. Lord, have mercy. That is just one of the sweetest prayers that you'll pray is, Lord, will you please forgive me and have mercy? You know why? It always gets answered. <laughs> if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. Isn't that a great promise? 
and he will help us overcome. And then I say the word in our three steps here, repeat, because this is an ongoing process. And what I don't mean is constantly, all throughout every single day, you're constantly thinking like, oh, do I do something wrong, do something right? No, no, no. But on a consistent basis, we embrace this prayer that David prays, Lord, search me. Know me. Is there anything I need to repent of? Is there anything that I need to come clean with? Is there anybody that I need to reconcile with? The Lord is faithful to help us. And here, one of the last things I want to say before the band comes on up is, again, we can trust the Lord's judgments because his judgments not only are perfectly right, but they are perfectly loving. His judgments are perfectly loving, and we can trust him on the day that we stand before him. Now, the band's going to come on up, and let me read one more verse from 2 Peter 3, and we're going to kind of connect, see, kind of wrap up how this connects, this revelation of the Lord's judgment, how this connects to how it affects our lives. So 2 Peter chapter 3, if you're already at the Peters, you can turn there. It will also be on the screen. Verse 10 through 14. It says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. The Lord is returning, he's coming. But he's coming back for a, a pure and spotless bride. Does that mean that any of us are going to reach perfection before he comes? I don't think so. No. Nope. But he, he is looking for a bride that's diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and in peace. He's looking for a church that will respond to him coming and his judgment. In verse 11, to live lives of holiness and godliness before him. So what we're not doing is striving for perfection, but we want to embrace a lifestyle of the fear of the Lord that actually affects the way that I love God, love others, think, feel, where actually we get consumed with the reality that Jesus is with us always and he sees us and he loves us and we'll give an account to him one day. And so I present this teaching to you guys to chew on yourself and I would love for us to have a confidence when we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, knowing that we took this seriously and it affected how we lived our everyday. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us and the band's going to lead us in a song. And what I want us to do in response first is just take time personally to, if you have a journal, pull that out. Just talk with God about, Lord, what are you saying? How do I respond? If you want to pray that Psalm 139 prayer, that would be an encouragement. Lord, search me. Know me. Is there anything in me that you're bringing up that I need to bring, confess to the light? Just take a few minutes to personally respond and then we'll open up the front to receive some prayer if you want prayer this morning. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, right now, I just ask over every single one of our hearts, Lord, would you help us process this? Would you help us 
think through this? Would you help us hear your voice? Your judgments are perfect, they are right, and they are loving. I pray that there would be a sense of peace and trust in all of our hearts, knowing that we are falling into your hands and your hands are so gentle. But yet, Lord, I pray that you would increase in every one of us the fear of the Lord. Lord, we don't want to waste a life that you've given us and all the abundance that you've poured on us. Lord, we want to not abuse it, but Lord, we want to use it for your glory. So thank you, Lord. Help us right now. Hear your voice and respond accordingly. In Jesus' name. Take a minute and just respond. Just you and the Lord. Write down anything that he puts on your heart and your mind.